You are listening to Ace Comicals. I'm Greg, and today I'm joined by my co-host Rahul. Let's go! everyone and welcome to Ace Comicals episode number 64. Today it is just the two of us. That's me and Ray. Hey Greg, how you doing today? Just the two of us. <laughs> we can make it if we try. Just the two of us. Yeah, I'm doing fine. How are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> I'm alright. I was doing I was doing great up until just then. <laughs> I really shouldn't sing. Not on something nah, that's going to be consumed by the public anyway. You got the um, voice of an angel, Greg. Don't ever stop. <laughs> The voice of an eldritch demon. We'll come on to that in a minute. Um, so, Ray, how have you been? What have you been up to? Let's let's do I, the usual thing we do where we talk about things that aren't comics for 20 minutes before talking about comics. I've been great. Um, what have I been up to? The last Since the last time we recorded, the, the thing that we talked about that I've actually caught up on is Chernobyl. And we've been talking, that off, talking about that off the cast quite a lot. Saying how, like, I've only seen episodes one and two so far, but I'm already, like, super into it. It's it's terrifying and, like, heavy. And it's, like, the thing, the way I described it to you was, like, it's the best version of, like, real-world Lovecraftian horror that isn't Lovecraftian. Because, like, they, they've they created, there's this demon of their own creation that you can't even look at face on, lest you, you know, be damned to madness and death. And, like, it's just... It's incredible. A really good show and like a really good recommendation from Leon. Yeah, I um I'm three episodes in. Okay. And it, it like in in typical Lovecraftian horror fashion, it literally just carries on down further into the catacombs, as it were. Yeah, uh, if we're I describing mean... it that way, it just it like it gets it goes to some places. That's all I'm going to say. And um, the end of episode three is particularly powerful. Like, mm. that was... Like, the way that episode ended, That that I had to sit there and stare at a black screen for a bit afterwards. I was like, wow. <laughs> yeah. God. I mean, we all know the consequences of the, the tragedy from... Because it was, what was it? Yeah. 80, it was April 86. 86, yes. Um, and... Yeah, it's one of those harrowing things you've always just known about your entire life. So, like, I'm, there's no surprises in what happens, really. But, like, seeing it depicted and seeing how, uh, like, the human um, the human cost and the human sacrifice and the human mm. consequences is, yeah, it's, it's harrowing. It is. It is harrowing. And it's, um, I think it's good that the story's being told. I... I like that the story's being told. I mean, I like that these these things are finally getting to be out there in the open and we're learning about this stuff. Um, we're learning about these events and we're getting some some kind of like, you know... We're, we're, getting, we're getting to hear these stories, which is good. I guess is the, yeah, is the best and, way I can put it. And beyond just like being able to hear the... The, the story of what happened uh, in Chernobyl itself, like I feel like it's prescient in that it's sort of there's a mirror to be held up to what we're going through now in mm. in not not blindly trusting superiors and like the lies that you're being fed from the government 
uh, to to cover their own back or you know the the things that the you know the structures will say to make you do things for their benefit uh, yeah. at the cost of your own like there's a lot of this which sort of yeah tracks forward still to today so yeah mm-hmm. i think it's a very timely story to tell but also i think that the, the scariest thing about it for me is the fact that there's no defense against it mm. i mean like, that's where the eldritch thing comes in like there's no escape there's no there's no yeah. protection like they can't do anything i just have to keep throwing people into the fire like it's, it's just never ending yeah, you can't there is no way to you can't wrap yourself up and lock yourself in a safe box away from radiation because there's no Mm. such thing i mean even lead has its limitations yeah it's especially when you're talking about that much radiation Mm. like the the you know it's it's like having a dying star on (laughs) earth isn't it is that am I am I right in thinking that you're you're the one who's more physics minded than me? <laughs> I mean, in in terms of like the, just the raw power and the raw consequence of being next to it, yeah, it's it, it kind of makes sense. Like, I mean, radiation is a thing in and of itself. Like, it's it's terrifying to think about. Yeah, and uh, like you're saying, it's like that. Um, again, it's almost alien because it's 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 almost like it didn't. This this thing never existed before yeah. this moment. Like the you know, well, obviously we knew what yeah. would go wrong if what would happen if things went wrong. But to this scale and like to we, actually have to, to the, deal with it. Yeah, I think part of the point is we didn't know what would happen if things went wrong. Well, yeah, <laughs> yeah, we didn't. Like know. Even, they he even says yeah. that line at some point in the one of the early episodes where he's like, "This has never happened on in the this planet, of the before. planet before." Yeah. yeah, we're dealing with something that has never happened on this planet before. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's wild. It, yeah, it's the fact that, like, I mean, you can, you know, throughout all your charts and all your reports and all your, like, your best estimations and your, um, you cannot plan for something that catastrophic or you can plan for something that catastrophic, but you're still going to lose lives and you're still going to, mm. you know, it's, yeah. And it, it just makes me think, why do we even bother with nuclear power at all? <laughs> but there we go, you know, so... But well, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's a whole other conversation and the consequences yeah. of like fossil fuels instead and whatever, whatever. And like, yeah, I, I, it's just hearsay and conjecture. But I gather that now, yeah. nowadays, it's, um, like nuclear yeah. power is quite a safe option if it's done correctly, if all the yeah, standards exactly. are met and yeah. whatever. But like, I'm no expert. So, is there not a way to do this off world yet and pipe the energy back? <laughs> like energy bridges <laughs> from the moon. That's what we yeah. need, right? Yeah. <laughs> Exactly. Let's go find uh-huh. somewhere uninhabited and unterraformed, right? Build our power plants <laughs> and dangerous shit there, okay? And then just like ship the energy back in massive batteries on the on like you know like they how they ship gas around um, in in huge tankers, mm-hmm. like across the sea, like natural gas tankers, and you get these natural gas ships that are basically just floating. Like they look, they have this kind of like pea pod structure because you know how pea pods have like the the bumps. Yeah, they have that, but they're full of natural gas. Okay. Like, and they just kind of like travel around the oceans, like shipping natural gas from A to B. Why can't we have? Why can't we like create the energy on another planet, fill up a battery, <laughs> and then like fly it back on a shuttle and then plug that battery in? So it's not enough to want to fuck the Earth. You now you want to fuck the Moon as well. Is, is well, no, 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 no. I'm I'm saving the Earth by fucking something that's unterraformed <laughs> and out there that no one cares about and nothing lives on. 
<laughs> you don't you don't know that nothing lives on Mars. <laughs> don't say that. I never said Mars. <laughs> I never said the moon either. I just said something that's just like some dead rock in the in you know you could do it on an asteroid if you want. But see, this is this is what happens when you start thinking about these things, and like you go, you spiral down this hole, and then you need a palate cleanser to like wipe your mind of like going down this this slide of depression um, about the state of the world. So, like, what have you what have you been <laughs> cleansing your palate with after something like um, Garfield comics? <laughs> <laughs> and, and by Garfield comics, what do you mean? I mean a special kind of Garfield comic <laughs> that is uh, born of a i don't even know where this came from i just i stumbled across a subreddit one day called r i'm sorry john is that right <laughs> yes I mean, yeah I yeah so. i got it yeah. yeah i mean i'm not a reddit i'm not much of a reddit person but um i've ended up signing up to reddit just because of that sub i literally only follow that sub <laughs> and uh, <laughs> it's oh, um, what is it yeah. it's garfield comics <laughs> but but Garfield is an eldritch god. <laughs> but just to clarify, like when I asked what your palate cleanser was, and the whole point of this Garfield like eldritch horror god is that it's not a palate cleanser. It's basically the same thing as Chernobyl. It's basically like a hor- like um, like a horrific version of something that's meant to be benign and I guess cute, but like you can read a lot into. People have read a lot into the Garfield comics anyway. Like, there's always been those, um, like, dour readings of, say, uh, John being uh, caught in the grips of depression and OD and Garfield don't actually exist. And so, like, I think there's something... There's been a website for a long time where, like, they've taken Garfield out of Garfield and it's just John talking to himself, which is hilarious. Like, I used to love that back in the day because it's just so sad, really. But this takes it a step further where they make Garfield into, like, an eldritch horror demon where he's manipulating john or he's like chasing yeah. john for um i mean whatever eldritch gods want and it's lasagna. been I, I, oh, lasagna, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but like the first time i remember seeing it was in like gif form and it was it, it was like a, a a game boy game like that monochrome palette. oh yeah i can and it was smell like, you john yeah <laughs> <laughs> so what have you been do- after you found this what have you been doing with it um why have you signed up to reddit I, I've I've been trying to make Garfield comics. This is how they this is how they get you, man. <laughs> You've uh, fallen in. I've uh... like the real Eldritch God is Reddit, <laughs> and, and it's got its hooks in you. So I've been like um, because I like drawing stuff like this anyway. So I've been doing my own versions of like and playing with the idea of Garfield as an Eldritch God, and like. Um, there's one I've done where it's like Garfield is in the TV, um, like manifesting himself through the static in the TV and it's like a three panel comic and it's from, you are John in this comic. So it's like your perspective, like you're sitting in the chair looking at the TV from the other side of the room and then the TV tells you to get up and come closer. So you walk over to the TV and then obviously... You know, like Garfield controls everything. Garfield is in the realm. It's called um, "I Grind the Organ," John. <laughs> um, <laughs> you didn't tell me the title. That's great. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's what I called it. Uh, you'd be able to find it on Reddit. Um, I think I gave you the right title for it. 
Yeah, I mean, that's what I, I've, I've had it. the privilege of seeing the process yes. for this comic, and like yeah. I do like this sort of it's sort of like Samara from the Ring coming out of the TV. It's it's really creepy. You're yeah. really good. The final <laughs> panel, really... the fight, the final panel is just a close up of the TV. <laughs> but it's like the the second panel where it's like John's hands and like intentionally drawn with three fingers because John only has three fingers. <laughs> it's like goo dripping from the ceiling as the world around you melts and you realize that you're actually just a figment of this eldritch god's fantasies and like desires like you you exist purely for their pleasure you exist to provide them with worship and lasagna i grind the organ john you just make the lasagna yeah, I like how we've all been having fun going back and forth with like how far we can take this because like I'm trying yeah. to think of what what other things lasagna can mean in this context. Like it's a representation for something else, but like we'll 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 have to make those comics, I guess. We're not gonna yeah. um, show you how the sausage gets made on this. I... You'll have to <laughs> follow us follow us on Reddit yeah. and you'll find it. There was something else I was messing around with. Uh, I'm called Pete's Hat Guy on Reddit, by the way. There was something else I was messing around with, which was basically. Um a the idea that john is one of many johns and <laughs> john is, and garfield being this this deity this this like elder god beyond god this cosmic like uh cosmic being um mm. will pluck souls from some kind of afterlife some kind of um like bank of souls and they he, any it could be any soul and he will just pluck that soul and they will be they will be placed they will be john that soul they is will john. become john <laughs> yeah and they and they will and then garfield will you know torment john until he is done with john and then if john displeases him he will kill john and then a new john will be taken so if the lasagna is bad john dies yeah but, so like i am become yeah. john creator of lasagna yes <laughs> cool concept i want to see you follow it through kind of like galactus in the silver surfer you know galactus and his heralds <laughs> like he could just make yeah. a oh that's another great one isn't it like what if what if lasagna was planets and garfield was galactus <laughs> <laughs> sorry i was taking a sip of tea while you said that <laughs> i was spat it out <laughs> that's like, a great idea yeah <clears throat> yeah so that's 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 been what i've been doing so that's your palette cleanser craig <laughs> yeah uh-huh. Um, oh, there's also this really cool Switch game that I got turned on to last week. Bloodstained. Oh, is that out already? It's not out yet. Like, because you've got Bloodstained Ritual of the Night, which is like on its way that I got told about because people have been like, um, people people have been hyped for this and our friend Gary is like super hyped for this and he knows I like mm. Castlevania games. So he's like, Greg, check this out. And I'm like, whoa. Yeah, and I think it'll be out by the time this podcast yeah. comes out. I think it's out on the 18th of June. Yeah, it, it's the 18th mm. or 19th, I think. Yeah, and it's um, it's basically like sim- it's a it's a love letter to Castlevania Symphony of the Night. It looks like is, a really yeah. uh, somehow more gory version of Castlevania. I think like the yeah the, the gore levels are really off the charts in this. And there's a prequel to this that's been released on the Switch at the minute, which is like something like eight quid, and it's like an eight bit prequel game, which is like a love letter to early Castlevania games, and that is called bloodstained curse of the moon Mm. and that is really cool and that i've been playing that okay i gather that um bloodstained ritual of the night like the full version that's going to come out on the 18th 19th is um 
It's like done by Koji uh, Igarashi, who I think was part of. I think he was like one of the senior programmers, or at least yeah. a writer on Castlevania Symphony of the Night. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Guy. Yeah. So it's, it was. It was kickstarted, and the kickstarter ah, okay. and, and the reason the reason we got um, Bloodstained Curse of the Moon is because the Kickstarter made so much money that they're like, oh, we'll, we'll just get, we'll give you an eight bit prequel. <laughs> That's amazing, so, think, and it's a full it's when, a full game. It's like a full game with like multiple endings and stuff. It's great. Oh wow! I love yeah. when creators are that generous, like they're that yeah. giving, and don't like they didn't just keep the money; they put it into into more content. That's yeah, they, they they ended up with the, the the Kickstarter generated so much support. I think the story mm-hmm. goes they ended up with so much money they didn't know what to do with it. Okay. Like they were just like, how can we like, you know? So obviously this, and uh, they were going to release the game earlier. Um, as in, this is Bloodstained Ritual of the Night. They were going to release Ritual of the Night earlier, but they didn't get to do that. But basically, they, they showed some trailers of it, and people complained about the graphics, so they took it back and polished it up, and that's <laughs> why it's taken till now to get released. Because they're like, okay, you don't like the graphics? Well, I'm not having that. I'm going to, you know, we're going to... Because obviously, they had enough money to do that, so they just took it back, polished it up, made it look shinier, and nicer and the, there is a, like a real difference i mean the graphics were great they were fine before i don't see what the problem was but people were saying oh it looks dated and whatever else because people are just you know bitter internet people <laughs> and um, like it's a stylistic choice not a yeah, consequence of exactly of yeah not enough work yeah yeah and then um they took it updated the graphics and uh it's that's that's the version we're gonna get now and uh, there's going to be some day one DLC as well, which was going to be exclusive to Kickstarter backers. But um, they asked the Kickstarter backers if it was OK if everyone could have it. And they're like, yeah, sure. So. Oh, wow. That's cool. Yeah. <laughs> they like put it to the they put it to the vote. They were like, so I think it'd be a little unfair to let just you guys have this extra level. And overwhelmingly, the answer from the Kickstarter backers was, yeah, let everyone have it. So. Nice. Yeah. Sometimes the gaming community is good. Yeah, sometimes they're good, sometimes they're dicks. I will refrain from commenting. <laughs> well, it's true, isn't it? So, <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> so, like, but, speaking yeah. of games, um, <clears throat> so I, I think I very briefly mentioned that I was playing Sekiro a little while ago. I finally yes. finished that game, and I'm really glad that it's over because that's a stressful ass game, man. Um, like, it's great, but like, it's really not in my wheelhouse. Like, I. I ended up not doing a lot of the side quest stuff and mainlined it to the end. And I don't know how... I think it's definitely a game that I will prefer to watch somebody high level, somebody experienced and somebody like really good at the game. Mm. Play, their way, play their way through it, um, like at really high level skill level. Um, and then I'd want to maybe watch like a, a lore description. I'd watch a few hours of like somebody picking together all the lore and all the story stuff from Sekiro. The way I've watched with like Bloodborne and things. Um, the thing I would say about Sekiro is it has the combat system is the most accessible for someone like me because I didn't I bounced off of Bloodborne and Dark Souls but this because there's so much rhythm to Sekiro and like it's a lot more dynamic and and it just it's really satisfying like when you do all the parries and then you stab somebody in the back and it's it's really good and some of the boss battles are really great and I would highly recommend it if you've got a lot of patience and the only reason I cracked on with it I think I would have given up with it a lot earlier if I didn't have people at work who were also playing it and we were talking about it on a daily basis, like, did you find this thing or did you, how did you beat this guy? And, you know, all these different techniques and stuff. And like for that, the conversation was really good. But if I didn't have it, I I would have stopped playing, I think. That's something I miss 
about gaming mm. sometimes because I miss like when I used to go into school like a new Zelda game would come out and it was like a big it's a big thing because like you couldn't really afford games back then because you were a kid mm. and you didn't have your own money um as in like when I was like in f- 14 15 years old and uh like we'd get the new Zelda game like I would have like begged borrowed stolen saved up whatever to get mm. enough money to have the new Zelda game. Like, Breath of the Wild, I think, was the... Not Bre- Breath of the Wild, I'm not that young. <laughs> uh, Wind Waker. That's the one I was looking for, Wind Waker, yeah. So um, that was, like, the one at the time, because the GameCube was big, and that had just mm. been released, and we were like, oh, my God, you know, Wind Waker. So I remember having those conversations at school and, like, having, like, a, a little kind of, like... Rather than, like, going on an online community and, like, somewhere like Reddit, for example and like having you know conversations about stuff on there or reading other people's thoughts you had like a, a a group of people like you would get like every morning before the first bell you would be like grouped together talking about breath of the wild it's like oh, i did this bit last night and it's like oh you know um i'm not that far yet but i've got to this bit and stuff. It, it's mm-hmm. that it, having that and and that like each of you encouraging the other to get further because someone will say oh wait till you get to this bit and then you'll be like oh now i have to get to that bit to see what they're talking about yeah and it's like the circle of encouragement and i think i miss that because i don't have a circle of encouragement anymore for many games (laughs) well i think sometimes it's like the games themselves don't lend themselves to that as much yeah i I don't think actually no i don't think that's necessarily true because i'm going to talk about a game next which has that in spades and the thing I'm lacking is people who are also playing the same game as me. But, like, I think that's still there. I think the internet may have changed that conversation or has changed that conversation a lot. I think it's, yeah. in some ways it's it's too easy to, hmm. um, if you're stuck, and depending on the kind of person you are, you you can bash your head against it for a little while. And where are you normally, like, when you're back in school, you, you had no alternative but to either call yeah. that really expensive phone line at the back of the manual or talk to your friends about it. And I feel like it's just easier when you hit that wall to go online, Google, um, like, yeah. how do I do X, Y, Z, and find the answer well, immediately. And then you don't actually yeah. let yourself have the conversation to begin with. I, I have memories of taking my save file to my mate's house mm-hmm. and, like, putting, like, like two brains are better than one kind of thing, you know? Yeah. yeah. Like, working well, it out with someone else in the room. It's like, okay, I can't do this on my own. Maybe you can help because I know you're better at this type of stuff. So let's go at it together. Or they might know how to do it and they'll guide me through it. So I'll take it around their house and they'll be like, okay, so do this, this and this. And I'm like, that sounds super obvious. How come I didn't get that? You know? Well, I love that about certain games. So like the one example that I've played in the past that I really enjoyed, which reminds me, this is The Witness. And I've gone on about this game a lot. Um, like for all its faults, I really enjoy that game. I like what doing i like the sense of mystery um and i didn't have the community in my friends to you know to have that conversation with but Mm. where i did find it was online i found you know there were people on reddit and on twitter and stuff talking about how particular puzzle solutions work and i think the great thing about a community and like the the game that brings out that kind of community is that everyone's very respectful of different people having different levels of um like um I get talent's not the right word, but like intuitiveness mm. for solving not just puzzles in general, but like particular sorts of puzzles. Because the whole yeah. point of the witness is there's so many different types of things. Some people, like for example, there's um, a subset of puzzles which rely on sound, and I found those puzzles really easy. 
But then when it came to the ones that relied on colour, I found them a bit more difficult. And I, when I talked to people that who I've since met who played it as well, um, and they said, oh, I found X puzzle really hard. I was like, really? I found that really easy. It came to me really intuitively. But this other thing that you found easy, I found really tough. And like when you go online, um, people are really careful about like knowing the process and then not giving like drip feeding ideas instead of just giving answers outright. And I think that's really cool. And I think you can find that conversation online. So the new game that I'm playing is something called Outer Wilds, yeah. um, which is a, it's an Epic Games exclusive. I think Leon may have mentioned it in a previous cast and he's the one who, like I'd been, I'd heard the chatter about it. It'd been in development for like a good six, seven years or something. And I, I've seen it like grow over the years, but I'd totally forgotten about it. And I was reminded of it. And it's basically, it's kind of like a chill, puzzly, um, mystery adventure where you play like a an alien in a rocket ship who um like is trying to explore the mysteries of his little solar system but every 22 minutes the sun at the center of this uh, solar system explodes so you only have 20 minutes to go to one destination explore find as much as you can before you're brought back to the beginning and have to redo the loop yeah. and i'm i'm missing not having somebody to talk to about this game and like did you find this mystery did you find that me like i want someone to to bounce those ideas off because it's not the game itself like there's no there's no mechanical stuff to solve really you're you are sort of just going around and piecing together information everything that you learn is or everything that is a revelation is born of you it's not like you have to do a thing in the in the game to to make it happen so I kind of want that. I want to have that friend to talk to, but at the same time, I wonder how you regulate that conversation. Because if I say, oh, did you find X on Y planet? And they'd be like, what? I didn't know that was there. Like, And then I've kind of ruined that discovery for them. And like, I, I don't know if you've had that lately, because that's something I'm I'm worried about if I had that conversation or if I went. Um, I'm, yeah. I'm too afraid to even go online to look up anything because I, I don't want to stumble <clears throat> upon spoilers. I think as a kid... Um, you know, with like a group of friends as a 14 year old kid playing Zelda games or whatever, mm. I think we were less precious about spoilers. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, I don't think we were that um, hung up on knowing what was going to happen next. Mm. I think it was more that, oh, have you got to this part yet? Because this is really cool. And yeah. um, you then want to see that. So you will get there to see the cool thing. I mean, having the mm. cool thing described to you and, and actually having the control pad in your hand and getting to the cool thing and seeing the cool thing were two different things mm. as far as I'm concerned. So it, it doesn't, I mean, like I'm, I've always been like that anyway, where you can talk to me and you can talk about something and possibly even mildly spoil something and it won't so much affect my enjoyment of the actual uh, thing itself okay that's a I good feel. place to be yes yeah, because... i feel like sometimes yeah. i if i do that thing where I, I i get stuck on a puzzle and i break the seal too early and then i feel like i've ruined the rest of the game for myself sometimes like i'll do yeah. it because like for example with sekiro i did a thing where i just couldn't figure this thing out and i tried to bash my head against it but like the the reward versus the friction that i was experiencing like it, it wasn't adding up, so I I thought oh, I'll just go and find the solution. And then you look up the solution and you act it out in the game, and it's kind of deflating because it's like, well, I could have I could have figured that out for myself, and I didn't. And I yeah. I've I I do get that sense of I have lost out on a thing that this game is trying to show me by not doing it the quote unquote right way. And I know there's arguments either side, but for me personally, I I, I keep falling for that trap where it's like I don't want to put this much effort in because I'm supposed to be enjoying myself. 
and then I do the thing, and then I end up not enjoying it as much. And yeah. there's there's no, and that's that's a me problem. Like, yeah, I just need to learn to either give it more time or yeah. get over it. Because I mean, what, what else can you do? Yeah, uh, I, I guess. Mm. I mean, I uh, it, it's um, yeah, it's a fine it's a fine line to tread, I think, with stuff like that. But I mean, I yeah, I don't I don't so I don't tend to suffer from that problem as much. In the fact that I will give myself so many tries on something, and if I can't do it, I I start to feel like I'm making myself miserable by continuing to repeat my own failure. So I just think, why don't I just seek help? Yeah, shortcut it. Which is exactly what I do over and over again. And then, yeah, yeah, I need to unlearn the thing which feels disappointment and just enjoy the the pro, which generally I do. Yeah. Because I still uh, get the, oh, yeah, moment. Because once I've done it and I've done it that way, I'm like, that's really clever and then i know i know for next time it really depends on the puzzle though like yeah. i've had moments when playing an adventure game where it's like this is really obtuse and i i don't know what i'm looking for i don't know which parts come together yeah. you look up a guide and it's like random element a mixes with random element b and you're like what the fuck like how was i one how was i ever supposed to get that and even if i figured it out myself would i feel pr- like proud of that connection or would i feel like what the fuck i wasted my time figuring yeah. out this nonsensical puzzle i got that with like Thimbleweed Park yeah. a lot when I played that game. Yeah. And yeah, it's, it, it all depends on the puzzle, I think. Yeah. But that's but, my palate cleanser. Yep. <laughs> like, I would, rec- I would recommend yeah. Outer Wilds. Yeah. So, I mean, like, just to bring this bring this back in a little bit mm. to comics. Last week, I <laughs> went to Leicester Comic Con. And oh, yeah. was uh, that? that was really cool. Yeah, we were there with... Uh, so, I was there and um, the... Uh, Fluff and Fury were there as well, so mm. that's um, our friends who run the Fluff and Fury thing. Who they make cool stuff with three D printers and laser cutters and anything else they can get their hands on. They're quite crafty. Very uh, talented, nerdy yes. artisans. Yeah. Yes, yeah, yes. definitely. And, Between uh, the pair of them, like in yeah. terms of making the thing and then um, painting the thing, like one one building building this like tangible product and then making it look right. Between the two of them, they have that down to like perfection. It's amazing. Yeah, yeah, they're really they're really good at that, um, and they they do some really really cool stuff. And we've talked about their stuff before. Go and check out their Twitter feed, their Instagram, just Fluff and Fury, and you'll see all of it. Well, anyway, we were there with them mm. um, on uh, the Saturday. We went, and uh, it was. I mean, despite the weather's best efforts to wash us out. It was, it, you know, it was it was pretty good because once we got inside, it's all indoors anyway. You don't need to be outside, so it was a nice day. Where was um, it? It was at the Athena in Leicester. So that's, um, it's like an Art Deco building in the middle of town. Oh yeah, I know. What yeah, you mean. Cool. and they do like events there and stuff. And I think it used mm. to be an Odeon Cinema way back in the time. Mm. When, yeah, I think so. When I was a child. Back in my day. Well, anyway. That was um, like, and, it, and, yeah. and that, sorry, just on a, on a slide nostalgia note, that Odeon closed down when we were really young, right? Exactly, yeah. Like five or six. <laughs> well, yeah. no, actually, no, it was, it must have been after, because I, I'd seen films there as a kid. I'm sure I saw Jurassic Park there. Whoa, and, really? Uh, yeah, and I'm sure I saw the Flintstones there as well. I remember seeing All Dogs Go to Heaven there, which I yeah. think was the first movie I ever watched in the cinema. Yeah. And I feel like that film shaped me because it's fucking depressing. <laughs> like it's it's set a standard yeah well it, it, that's where it was at the athena and um mm. they had like video games set up there was this cool they had like an original tmnt arcade machine the four player one 
nice. Um, and I got a blast on that. It was set to free play. That was amazing. Uh, they had um, a photo opportunity with a Batmobile, like a Tumblr Batmobile that someone had built. Like, obviously, it wasn't roadworthy, but it was a Tumblr Batmobile that someone had built out of like like a prop thing and a bat signal. So I had a photo with that. Um, I had a photo with a guy dressed... I had a photo with Deadpool. Mm-hmm. Um, is a guy... Well, I, was it a guy dressed as Deadpool? I think he was... A, it, it, was it a, just a professional Deadpool or was it the real Deadpool? It's like when you're a kid and you don't know whether it's the real Santa or not. Um, <laughs> <laughs> there was, Who knows why? It's so meta. <laughs> yeah. Um, there was... Um, a there was a, like they had a, a bunch of bumblebees parked outside so like <laughs> different bumblebees from throughout the ages um i only had a photo with the one that mattered <laughs> so yeah um i'm not going to cool. tell you which one matters because if you're listening to this podcast you should know which one matters don't be judging so, <laughs> generation one bumblebee my bumblebee anyway yeah that's my bumblebee everyone has their own their own favorites their own um that you know but like for me bumblebee is g1 bumblebee but i will always have Mm. that despite what michael bay does and what other people do so i'm not (laughs) gonna i'm not gonna crap on anyone else's bumblebee that's fine but yeah so i had the the, i stood next to the uh the the vw bumblebee which was really cool had a photo with that um and yeah it was just genuine gem generally a cool day it was nice to see you know comics on sale and stuff and people buying comics and there was some artists about and um the artist who set the style for the sonic the hedgehog artwork from sonic 2 onwards was there okay and cool. i went to his table and um, had a little bit of discussion with him about how his original image of sonic that was his his is his sonic artwork for sonic 2 that was then used as the style setter for the creation of the Sonic 2 box art, which then influenced me as a kid and taught me how to draw Sonic. (laughs) So that was like... Because one of the things I used to do, I used to draw a lot of Sonic. And um, I used to, like... um, When I was a kid, I I, like that was the thing. I used to fill my drawing books with pictures of Sonic. Hmm. Um, I just loved doing that. Uh, And... Yeah, I was like a massive Sonic fan as a kid. So, and I used to read Sonic the Comic, and this guy's artwork had been featured in Sonic the Comic as well. Mm. So it was nice to it was nice to meet the 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 originator of this style that was so prominent throughout my childhood. Um, and then uh, I went and spoke to another artist called Gustavo Vargas, who had some of his artwork on sale, and I bought a couple of comics off him. Um, now, this guy's art is absolutely gorgeous um he describes these two comics that i bought as peruvian cyberpunk (laughs) nice and it is literally that a cyberpunk tale a bio punk type thing going on set in peru in the streets of peru Mm -hmm. um in uh the well the first book's called lima and then there's a book called Trujillo as well, which are both, they're both the same, like, it's uh, kind of in the same world. Mm. Um, the same kind of setting with this, like, cyberpunk, biopunk thing going on. And uh, it's just, like, he has this, like, awesome style that is, like, full of detail and still at the same time so animated and not too bogged down in its detail. It's not 
too dissimilar to this to the reasons that i enjoy looking at james stokoe's artwork actually thinking about mm. it because of the amount of detail that this guy manages to cram in and the line the amount of lines that he uses like fine lines thick lines the amount of animation that he gets into each panel in facial expressions and everything else along with I, I mean, I hope I'm doing it justice by describing it this way, because but it's gorgeous. Yeah, I mean, you can check his stuff out. You, you go to um, if you Google Gustavo Vargas, Gustavo Vargas, you will find his Wix site where you can check out his character design stuff, his artwork, and whatever. And then there's also his Instagram and his Twitter feed. And yeah, it's just yeah these two comics were mind-blowing and awesome and i just i picked them and i flicked through them so i'm gonna take both of those and i had a really nice conversation with him as well he's a really nice guy so yeah you should check his stuff out yeah uh they were some great comics that i picked up and you can see i did like a little mini review of it on instagram as well so yeah um yeah uh other than that we went to see the new godzilla film um last week uh, were you excited about that I was very excited about that. Do you know why? Mm-hmm. Because it's Godzilla. And all the reviews are coming. Uh-huh. <laughs> it's called Godzilla King of the Monsters. Uh, and all the reviews had come in saying that it was basically... Like, there was reviews. People were doing reviews. And they, they the people were saying they had a problem with the fact that it focused too much on the monsters. Well... Didn't they complain the last with the last one where it, yeah. like, it focused too much on the humans? Like, yeah. you can't please the audience. Well, like, it's a monster movie. <laughs> the movie is the monster that's the whole reason you go to watch it to see big monsters kick the shit out of each other and that's what i wanted and that's what i got (laughs) yeah i've heard heard that it satisfies really well on that level yeah and it's great and it it is so it is up there with the you know all the other classic godzilla movies that i've enjoyed Hmm. and yeah it's it's brilliant It's, it's got all your favorites in there and it's yeah I mean the fight the fight card is unreal but yeah it's great. <laughs> I mean you could you could you could actually talk about Godzilla movies in terms of fight cards couldn't you like actual yeah. like, UFC <laughs> events or something but yeah no it's good yeah. it's it's a good film I enjoyed it it was a good monster movie. Um great great thing to see at the cinema with you know the the sounds and the visuals and everything else it's it's a good cinema watch. Okay. So I'd recommend that. Hmm. And that that has been my two weeks. And I can breathe now. <sighs> yeah, yeah, you did so, a lot in these yeah. last two weeks. Yeah. So um, it's uh, it's it's comics time. I mean, I've already talked about comics a little bit, but it's comics time now. So mm-hmm. we're going to talk about comics even more. So didn't you like because you're reading Die, aren't you? And didn't you like start like take a look at the RPG? Because didn't they make an RPG for it? Like an actual like pen and paper RPG that follows the story of the book? Yeah, so I noticed a tweet by uh, Kieran Gillen, who's the, the writer-creator of uh, Die. And yeah, he's written um, like a guide for a Die RPG. Uh, I don't think it's like he even, he, he says up front that it's not necessarily the same as you'd expect from, say, a Dungeons and Dragons guidebook or like handbook. I'm not fully sure how D&D works. I've never really properly dived into it myself. But this apparently is more like... Um, uh, a set of rules to how to play the game, and then a bunch of handouts, which are the characters and arcana from the the universe that he's written in the books. Um, and it's he says it's more of a 
uh, you generate a group of real-world people who then sit down to play a role-playing game before getting dragged into a fantasy world. So you're, like, role-playing the role-players who then get sucked into the universe um, of, like, this fantasy world. It seems yeah. very interesting. Like, I, I just... I, all I was really doing was um, poring yeah. over the... Um, like the handouts to see how the characters are arranged and everything. It seems very interesting. So, like, if there's anyone out there who, one, likes, uh, you know, pen and paper, Dungeons and Dragons, fantasy role playing to begin with, and has, you know, an interest in the comic, because, like, uh, all the artwork and stuff is amazing in the art, in, in the comic. If those two things overlap, then definitely check this out, because it'll be something yeah. that, one, you get to beta test it, and then, two, you'll be aware of, like, how the mm. game will work when it's actually released in the final version. You sent this my way this morning, and mm. um, I had a quick flip through. I got about like as far as character creation, I think. Right. Um, and being a D and D player, it's very different from the sound. I mean, like it, it sounds to me like it's adding an extra layer to the proceedings. So, uh, which it is, and it's also it yeah. Um. I haven't quite managed to wrap my head around it entirely yet. I maybe need to read it a couple more times, but it's, um, I'm, I mean, I'm not that seasoned a role player as in, I've not really tried out that many different sets of rules. I know I've played D and D fifth edition and I've played D and D fourth and I've played some box star PGs like the Ghostbusters board game and such, but I'm not really, anything else is a bit, a bit foreign to me still. So, I mean, I, mm. I had a quick look through it and I was looking at the character creation stuff and the best way I can describe it is, you build the ethereal parts of your character, as in the personality, the mind, etc. And then once you have that brain, that gets deposited into a a vessel. Mm. And the vessel operates independently of the brain. Is that a good way to describe it? I guess, like, the way he puts it is... Um... You're role play. You're playing a role playing game where someone is playing a role playing game. Yeah. And so you're. It's like he, it's meta as hell. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So like he uses the uh, he what he calls a, a mecha suit metaphor, where you're the person you always were, but you're now just being put into this enormously powerful body. Yeah. And, like he describes it as goth Jumanji. Like you've been, but you're playing the character from Jumanji, having been sucked into the game Jumanji. Like that's that, that is it in a nutshell. That makes more sense when you describe yeah. it that way than the way I described it. I mean, that's how Kieran Gillen described it. That's yeah. not my words. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, it sounds interesting. And when mm. I get my head around it, I wouldn't mind trying to run a game, actually. It sounds cool. I always have a yeah. problem, like, committing to this kind of stuff because it takes it takes effort. But, like, I, I like the world so much and I, mm. I have a lot of faith and trust in the writing. So, yeah. Like I would, yeah, I'd probably if we could if we could all find time to like sit down and really commit to it, it would be interesting to go mm. through. I think. Yeah, and some interesting interesting ideas in there and stuff, and it sounds it sounds like an interesting set of rules that I'd love to read more into. I'm gonna have to proper proper flick through that PDF. It is yeah, it's I mean, free it's, at the minute, isn't it? You can just download it. Yes, like it's 130 pages long. Yeah, it's just. It, it, like you said, it's a beta, and he's open yeah. to receiving like feedback and stuff. And there's but... there's bits of it missing as well. Like it's not yes. the full it's not the full game. Like so he's omitted certain parts. Yeah. Uh, which um, I think the Arcana's missing. Yeah, that's not quite finished. Yeah, yet. I mean it's a work yeah. in progress. But yeah. yeah, like I said, if you have an interest in either yeah. of those things, then go check it out. Yeah, it's worth a look. Um, and on from there, um, Ray, you want to pick something off your list? 
Um, okay, so we both read... Let's have a look. Uh, we both read Test, which is a um, Christopher Sabella book, if I'm not mistaken. Is that yes, correct? Yes, that is correct. Right. So before we get to that, I want to pick up something else that I read that is also by Christopher Sabella. I read a book called Trustful. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a new number one. Um, and the reason I want to bring it up is because, like... Uh, as I always do, I was, I was just brought onto it by the cover and like flicking through the opening few pages. Um, it's like, so let me let me give the blurb of it. So, trustful is described in the book as an exercise in which one person falls backwards without trying to stop themselves, relying on other people to catch them based on nothing more than the fact that they said they would. And it seems the whole story seems to be based around this idea of like trusting in family. Like, the idea, uh, the, the story revolves around a character called Ash, who we're, like, thrown, we're thrown into her circumstances right away in a really disorienting way. Um, like, I think we see her as a kid on one panel, and then we see her as a, a grown-up in the next. And, like, there's this immediate sort of whiplash between these two different scenes. And, like, we're thrown into this action where she puts on a pair of headphones and we see, like, a representation of the music she's listening to in a really interesting way where it's, like... Um, jumping out of her headphones in really thin bands, like thin, pink, vibrant, aggressive bands. And we see her basically walk into a room and these two guards try and stop her. And like that's represented really well by like, uh, she can't hear them because she's listening to music and like their dialogue in the speech bubbles is like scratched out. And then she pu- pulls her headphones off and she hears what they have to say. And then she shoots them in the face with her finger guns. And like I, you have no idea what's going on. It's just like the same pink um, motion that you're getting out of her headphones. The same, it's sort of represented in the same way, coming out of her fingertips and like blasting these people off. And um, then we see like a chase sequence where, like, so these first few pages really drew me in because it's like kinetic and there's um, a playfulness and like uh, a lot of really good creativity with how, um, like, it plays with the panels. So there's this one. Uh, panel in like a three three or four pages in where we see like an overhead shot of these police cars coming to the scene where she's you know she's causing chaos and we see like an overhead shot of uh, a police car turning a corner between two buildings and we see like um from above we see the the roofs of these buildings but the um like the outline of the buildings the, the roof itself is actually the borders of the panel uh, surrounding it and we get to see like snippets of her running away into the street where in the background we see the the police car that's in the middle of the frame turn the corner like there's again loads of really interesting um representations of this disorientation and just like the chaos that's happening and i was really drawn in and then it gets we see like her escaping and coming back home and then it sort of slows down and it does this thing that i've said quite often that i i find really puts me off where that disorientation doesn't end and like it tracks forward up until the end of the issue where like it ends on a cliffhanger but i don't really feel like i have much context for the whole thing and like again as i said often before i'm finding it really hard to like judge this number one on its own i really want to read this as a trade and i'm going to wait for this as a trade because i think there's a lot of strength to this this first issue but it's not enough for me um right and yeah, I, 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 I mean that's it. Like, I wanted to give it a chance, yeah. and I, I still will. But on its own, I don't think it's doing enough to like drag me along month by month. 
I mean, like, the story's interesting. It's like we learn that Ash is part of a family of uh, freedom fighters, which are basically assassins, I think, who've been working independently, waiting for an opportunity to join an organization called Dead Flag, which mm. is like a worldwide organization of operators acting outside of the state and the government. Yeah. And she dis- like she's doing this thing where she's defining terms yeah. um, in her narration throughout the book. So, like, one of them is how she describes what a trust fall is. One of them is defining who the bad guys are bad guy definition those who are in the employ of the government you know Mm. um like let me see if i can go to that page hang on it's like weapons in a war to destroy the forces of good they often come in a uniform in the employ of crooked collection known as the city the state and the government and what you realize is that these definitions are um like the indoctrination that she's being fed by the family that she's in this you know this family of freedom fighters and this whole this first issue sort of centers on that family finally being given the opportunity to join Dead Flag and her first mission for that organization. And um, I guess the other big thing is that there's a catch to this life that she lives in, that she lives a very sheltered life. She has this indoctrination, but she knows it. Like, she's forbidden from engaging in anything outside of the house. And, like, that's all really intriguing. And then it just... It just didn't give me enough. I, I want to know more and I want to feel grounded and I want to feel less lost. But I yeah. ended this book still feeling really lost. And like something I didn't say about the art, like, again, the art really drew me in. Like that whole thing about using the environmental borders from the rooftops and everything. And that's all really interesting, creative. And there's this this um, quote unquote, like half unfinished feeling to it, which I mean in a positive way, like in a sense that you can see the seams between the layers. Like, you know, um. Like when you're painting your room and you put masking tape everywhere yeah, and then yeah. you peel off the masking tape and you can see like the edge between one yeah. layer of paint and the other. Like yeah. that's that's really cool. It does a lot of things like that where you can you get the feel that it's a, a, a crafted page as opposed mm. to just like this perfect rectangle on paper. Yeah. Um, so like I, there's so much talent in here and I'm going to wait for the, the first trade to be collected before mm. I properly dive in. Yeah, that sounds really cool. Mm. Um and uh, do you want to give us a rundown of the uh, the creative team again, and then we can move on to test because I think that'd be a good place to segue into that. Yes, that's the reason I brought this yeah. up first. So <laughs> this is uh, Trustful issue number one, yeah. uh, titled "New Meanings to Old Words," um, which plays into the whole thing about her saying her definition in the background. Um, yeah. So it's written and co-created by Christopher Sabella, um, art and co-created by Chris Visions. Uh, lettering by um, Hassan Osmane Elhal, and yeah, same people on covers and production, etc. And that's an aftershock comic. Sweet. Um, that sounds like something that would be worth picking up as a trade, as you say. I think so. Yeah. yeah. Um, well, I mean, we'll so, see. I'll report back yeah. when it gets to issue five and six. Yeah. So we uh, we move on to test number one, which is something we were given a preview of by Vault Comics. Mm-hmm. Um, this comic actually releases on the 26th of June, so this cast will be available on the 19th, this comic will be available the following week, and test. So I'm, I'm just going to read the official blurb from the Vault website. Mm-hmm. So, Aleph Null is a lot of things, an orphan, a human guinea pig undergoing medical tests for cash, a body hacker, a hardcore future junkie, and a corporate asset. But now... Aleph is on the run from their old life in search of a mythical Midwestern town named Laurelwood, where they're test marketing the future with tech that can't possibly exist yet and won't for decades. From Eisner-nominated Chris Sabila and Jen Hickman, 
comes the story of a town out of time, full of mysteries, and populated by guinea pigs in need of liberation by the misfit least likely to be their saviour. So, this book, it kind of starts in the midst of the confusion, I guess. The confusion and the... Uh, the the chaoticness of this this whole idea this whole concept uh so we begin um and we open like with this this character Aleph making their way to this town in the midwest like hitchhiking with a trucker um and it's from there onwards it, it just seems like the 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 character like they it, you can feel that they're under the influence of something or that whatever is inside them isn't agreeing with them or something like that because you've just got this anxious poetry like throughout mm. like that's that's what like all the kind of like narration the narration from Aleph comes across as and even like with the lettering actually because the lettering looks like hastily scrawled notes in a diary of someone documenting their mountain illness with intrusive thoughts and mood swings and um mm. you know like um what different what effects different medication might have on them and things like that and it's just it's it's that kind of um it's that kind of story so this this person has escaped from uh, some kind of test center they have found themselves traveling to this town called Laurelwood which they have been promised will fix them whatever that means for this person um because we haven't really been given much around that yet as far as i can tell mm. um it seems like they need a lot of different substances to survive um like i'm not sure if the medication is necessary or for them physically or just necessary for them in a different way um and it's yeah it's a great opening it's a great cold open as a comic and the fact that it just throws you straight into it. Um, I actually quite liked that. I liked yeah, the I'm confusion because it put me in the head of Aleph and like, you know, to, to feel the confusion they must be feeling to not know even what you are anymore because you've been through that many different clinical trials and that many different modifications that you don't you, like the way, even the way Aleph refer, refers to other people in the book where referring to other people as sapes like they're homo mm. sapien and this person is something else you know mm. like it's yeah like and and they appear to be hunted and on the run from this trial facility because uh, obviously through signing so many ndas and things for through participating in so many drug trials they actually do not have dominion over their own body anymore by the sounds of it mm. um yeah, and and this this uh, this city, this this midwestern city that they're looking for, like, um, you get the idea that Laurelwood may actually just be a product of mental illness or manif like manifested through a lifetime of clinical trials, a product of their psychosis, um, or uh, but but then obviously they 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 do find somewhere that could be Laurelwood or could not be Laurelwood. We don't know, and that's that's part of the charm of this book, I think. And yeah, part part of the charm of this book is the fact that it just seems to be this chaotic maelstrom of which which is what you know, like somebody who has been through so many clinical trials and had so many different mind altering substances or procedures or whatever 
done to them might feel, I guess, is what I got from this. And, mm. like, I love the thin lines and the washed-out, almost watercolour of the artwork. And when you combine it with the slightly abstract character design and the notebook-style lettering, you get a real sense of the anxiety and the strung-out confusion and the fear that might come with no longer having dominion over your own flesh. And the confusion that a cocktail of drugs, you know, would would give you to feel like to and 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 the confusion the cocktail of drugs that this person is taking might give you, and to feel like something else, to feel like the next step in human evolution, like you are beyond what these other people are, and you don't even really know what you are anymore. Mm. Uh, the pain, the trauma, the trials, and the sickness, and what they've put themselves through in order to afford the body modifications that they've done on themselves, and. I think they have some kind of weapon inside them or they've been turned into some kind of weapon uh, is the impression I get as well. And there's like diagonal lines used in some sequences separating panels that gives the impre- more of the impression of confusion, lumbering, staggering action, clumsy and fast action. You know, the impression of things happening chaotically because it's on a diagonal line and it's just kind of like hmm. a slope. And it's, yeah, it, it's just really cool in that sense in that it is just like a, a a window into chaos and confusion and uh i quite like the idea behind it as well that they they have no idea what they are and they're on the run from a government facility looking for somewhere that is going to fix them whatever fix them means i'd love to know more about that and um i just yeah i just i just want to get deeper into this and find out what exactly this person has had done to them what exactly they are now and and things like that. That's that's just what I want to know. Uh, I mean, how did you find this, Ray? I, I think between reading Trustful and reading Test, I think I've figured out that um, Christopher Savella sort of revels in this confusion, and like that's I think that's his style, especially for these, or, or maybe at least just for these issue number ones. I think you nailed, like you've hit the nail on the head. Like that sense of dislocation and, like you said, not having dominion over your own body seems to be definitely a theme of this book because it is it feels like it's the beginnings of cyberpunk because like you mentioned he like this character is on something like they're on drugs i don't think it's specifically drugs i think we see them go into pharmacies and steal like medical supplies but that's yeah. so they can uh heal themselves up patch themselves up because what they're really um addicted to like the quote-unquote drug that they're on is technology it's like they're all these medical trials i think it's like it's the beginnings of um like transhumanism yeah so this this character has like all these implants all these augmentations all these things that they've allowed like submitted themselves to to have put in them to be experimented on for the the greater good we're not really given like they seem to have made that choice to do Mm. it like they they even say that there's a there's a portion where they say how um like why they went for it but now it's too much or they feel like they can be greater and the the institution they were trapped in wasn't providing them enough so that's why they they like took the help of somebody else who was like another uh not inmate another patient i guess or another subject yeah um to to escape that place so they could find Mm. to find more and i think that's what this laurel wood that they're seeking Yes, yeah. and like but, you said, you're, you're not quite sure whether it's a real yeah. place. They even mentioned that it could, you know, there's multiple places called Laurelwood. It, you know, it moves apparently, and like we do get uh, this representation of it as maybe something that's like augmented reality, like they're seeing it on top of an existing town. Um, but again, I think in like trustful, 
it left me in a place where I was really confused by the end, but not quite as dis like I I knew that I was supposed to feel dislocated, like it was trying to bring me into mm. um, Aleph's headspace, and it does such a good job at that. And like in all, because of all the reasons that you've already said, and like I'm really keen to see what happens yeah. in the next one. I want to see what their goal is. I want to see what the world that they're they're living in is. Because like I said, like the beginnings of cyberpunk, so it feels like. Uh, like Aleph and the few other people who have submitted experimentation, like they're the, they're like a drop in the ocean. Like the rest of the world uh, hasn't, you know, gone to these places yet. Yeah. So they're like, um, like misrepresented, misunderstood, like left on their own to, to deal with the consequences of these choices they've, you know, submitted themselves to. And it's really interesting to see like, how the world views them and like what what they are is almost like so newly alien to the world that's a really cool concept mm. like um the uh there is a a, a like a, a point that made me think the thing that made me think about like mind altering substances and stuff is a point where they mention their brain pills and mm, they take yeah. a bunch of like pills and then there's the point where they get injected with something by some type of like drone or something like that. Yeah, it's true. But, there's yeah. a lot going on, yeah. and like, there's almost so much going on that you don't know what is, like, yeah. what things are connected. Like, there's a a point where they take like a a pin out of the back of their head, and I didn't even, again, I, I maybe I just need to read it a second time, but like, I mm. couldn't track the the events yeah. that were happening, like to lead up to certain things sometimes. And I'm yeah. I'm giving the comic the benefit of the doubt and assuming that it's a like a choice as opposed yeah. to a, an, um, and I think I'm more into this than I was with Trustfall. I think I really yeah. want to see, I will follow this month by month to like get the, the, the drips and drabs of what this world is and what this yeah. person's experience. I, I thought this was really cool and, um, mm. I am, yeah, I, I'm, I, I'm into it. I'm looking forward to what comes next. Um, I want to see where this goes. And that is test number one. And uh, that is available on the 26th of June. So NCBD 26th of June. So get down to your comic book shop and check that out. That is on Vault Comics. And credits we have Chris Sabila, Jen Hickman, uh, Harry Saxon. uh, uh, So Chris Sabila is a writer. Jen Hickman is the artist, uh, colorist Harry Saxon. Mm. And letterer Hassan Otsman Elhal. So there we go. And uh, on from there, we've got another couple of preview books, haven't we, that we've got sent by Vault. So um, we'll just run through those as well. Um, We will move on to Resonant. Yeah, because that's the other one that I read. Yeah. Yeah. And of, (laughs) I have to admit, of the few that I, um, of this selection that Vault Comic Centers, I did not think that Resonant would be my favorite based on just the cover. But oh my God, this book is amazing. Like, I, I really fell hard for this book. Um, so, uh, what it is, is a post-apocalyptic sort of, um, like, family drama. Like, we open on uh, a, the character called Beck, who is a young girl who in what looks like an idyllic sort of, you know, uh, idyllic world. She's in the middle of a forest. She has... Um, that you know she's uh making her way back to like a cabin in the woods and everything seems beautiful and lush and verdant 
Um, as she gets up from planting this seed in the ground, we see that she's missing half her leg. She's on crutches. Uh, she makes her way back into this building where we see her family. We see her father, we see her, uh, her brother, Ty, um, and we see her younger brother, Steph, who is um, bedridden. And uh, the inciting thing that's happening in this story is that we see the father preparing for uh, to to leave the children behind to fend for themselves. Like they, you know, um, he's explaining that they've got enough to survive in that place for six months on their own if he doesn't make it back. But he will be back. Like he he has to go off and find help because they are, despite the the setting seeming quite idyllic, um, they are on their own and they they need help. So he goes off and leaves uh, leaves his children behind and. Um, what happens from there is we it escalates to like we get to see the state of the world and like what I like about this is there's basically there's basically two or three major scenes we see the world as it currently is in its calm state and then we see um what like the the danger that's happening and what what it's called in this world is the wave so they're preparing themselves for another recurrence of the wave and what um like you brought up uh what was that that film you brought up bird box yeah we were kind of having like a a short chat beforehand and um i said that this kind of reminded me of bird box a little yeah because it does that thing where it shows you like two or three moments which are just outside of our understanding like as he's preparing to leave his short go find he sticks his hand into like a barrel and grabs a bunch of crickets and like you wonder what need is for that, and then um, as we go through the book, we see that like these crickets uh, become like an early warning system for this horrific occurrence of the wave that happens halfway through this book. And well, before I get too deep into it, is there anything you wanted to say on like your introduction? Um, yeah, it was an intriguing opening issue, and I feel like this type of horror deserves its own name, its own genre, because there's like. There's, there's, you, you can put horror into different boxes. Like you, you get like um, slasher horror movies. You get mm. existential horror. You get uh, post-apocalyptic horror. But these types of stories, they have like this kind of like unseen force, don't they? An yeah, unseen force is of... driving people to harm themselves or harm others. So fil- things like this book, uh, movies like Bird Box. Um, I guess movies like um uh, would you I put guess, a like, quiet the, place the in that box? And, I'd put yeah, I'd put a quiet place in that sort yeah. of like it's um, it's not so much the unseen thing, but yeah. it's like the fact that the earth is sort of still going on. Like it's I, I like to call it like reclaimed earth apocalypse because like yeah. like I was saying, like the 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 surroundings are all really lush and verdant and earthy and like it feels really yeah. like like a beautiful place to be in. Like we get these opening shots of the woods. like pulled back yeah. where of the woods yeah and everything's really like vibrant and nice yeah. and like it doesn't feel um like things are it doesn't feel like things are dangerous in that moment but mm. then like the father steps onto what was once uh, you know must have been a highway and we see these cars that have been abandoned and like covered in moss mm. and that's what i mean about like the reclaimed earth thing so for all intents and purposes the place you know the world is you know like carrying on it's not it's not so bad it's not like the post-nuclear where everything's um you know deprived like we've yeah yeah, we've we've stolen from the earth and it's it'll never be what it once was it's coming back 
but then there is this this regular thing that they have to fear. So like like you said in in Bird Box, where it's that unspoken horror which makes people kill themselves, there's a very similar thing happening in this book in the yeah. you know in the manner of the wave. And, and then we do get to see yeah. that occurrence happen for the yeah. first time and see various people sort of deal with yeah what it is and how it affects them. And uh, the booby prize of these bunch of films uh, happening. Mm. Hmm. <laughs> the happening being the worst one but yeah like it, it's got it's got that kind of that that kind of feel about it um and it's hmm. yeah it is i mean com- I, I need we need to give this type of horror a name this unseen wave type horror that you know what would you call it i think it's it's kind of like it's supernatural uh post-apocalypse isn't it mm. it's that kind of thing where normally supernatural is like affecting one person it's like a a ghost or some sort of like demon that is pursuing them individually but this is like on a global scale it's something strange that is happening something unearthly something supernatural and it's affected everybody so like um as we see the father set off on his journey he Mm. encounters like the first the first person that we see outside of his family he encounters this person who looks like uh, like a ravager you know like somebody who is um You'd expect from something like Mad Max, where yeah, uh, like they're just in it for themselves. They've yeah. you know he looks like that type where he's bedraggled and um and hurt and like covered in scars and covered in blood and dirt and everything. But like the in- the encounter that he has with him is quite unusual. What you'd expect kind of post apocalyptic setting. Like he has a conversation with the and he's like, I don't want to hurt you, but like he's like, I haven't seen anyone for so long. Can you just talk to me please like can you just give me some time but he still looks like he's after something he still looks like he's untrustworthy but he's he does this thing where he he starts crying and he falls to the floor and he's like please don't just i'm so alone and can you can you just give me and he says can you give me a chirper which is what they call these crickets and we still don't understand what he needs it for we don't understand the purpose of these crickets it's like i just need something just one to help me get by i think i ate my last one like i just need something um to to survive with and it turns out they use like early warning systems for this uh for this this wave that comes and takes over the world mm. which brings me on to the bird box thing because that's mm. that's yeah because i thought about like the birds are signaling the coming of this thing you're not supposed to look at in bird box exactly yeah. but yeah i mean it's it's um yeah it's there's some subtext there about what this wave actually is and about overcoming anger and hatred directed at yourself. And like when the, uh, when the father sits down and kind of meditates and repeats this mantra and being able to let go this anger and beat the urge to self harm or lash out, which I really liked. Uh, like, yeah, that's, that's the thing. Cause that's the unspoken. And I don't want to really give too much away about what the, like the quote unquote twist or supernatural element is here. Um but like you said, it sort of it ends like it gives its thesis at the end of the book where it says our worst impulses unleashed. Mm. And it, I feel like it's this is a better version of the kind of thing that Bird Box was trying to reach towards. Where, exactly, yeah. Um like Bird Box there is a monster which makes you kill yourself. Like there's no choice. Whereas this it seems like the thing that's happening is putting yeah. people into a headspace where it lets their worst impulses be unleashed. You can, and like the thing yeah. you, sorry, go on. You can submit to it or you can try to overcome it. Well, that's the thing. Yeah. So it, it, it has this really great moment where 
Um, so like this, this wave comes along and we get this suddenly shifted style. Like, so all of that verdant, lush, earthy, forest um, imagery that we were having before suddenly changes. Like the world becomes filled with noise and motion and like a really good visual representation of like stress and danger like, and all anger. the colors in the back and anger. Like the colors become fiery, yeah. and agitated and less organic and more like um, structured and like, um, like they're streaking pages. And like this depiction of stress really palpable like it like appropriately enough it, like it feels like it comes off the page in waves like mm. it's it's so good and we get this this amazing shot where we get two different people who i'm not going to say who they were but like two people overlaid dealing with the full force of this phenomena and like one is as you say like meditating calmly like through wisdom and experience on like this cold muted ground like centering themselves and the other is at the mercy of it like overloaded with their worst impulses and like scratching at themselves and pulling at their hair and like this that juxtaposition of like there is the danger here and it's it it really is there like they you know mm. they, there's a genuine danger but there is a way to overcome it and it's by centering yourself and we get that first yeah like it is overcomable um and yeah i i really like that that note to end it on and yeah. i am super in the rest of i'm I down am. for this yeah. Story. yeah i like this story i mean um it's the art style in this book so just talk about the art style a little here this is the mm. art because you were kind of edging towards that anyway the art style here is quite loose the colors bleed but are still restrained by thicker lines and everything has this kind of like hypersensitive quality about it like when you open your eyes in the morning to sunlight or enter a bright environment after being in a dark room like everything yeah, it's all like nicely yeah. saturated yeah yeah everything is overlapped with a texture as well a fuzz uh which mm. i like and works with the theme of the story like you're on a constant come down from this rage or whatever it is like when you're on the come down from a, a migraine ah yeah and that's everything's really just yeah. like like the, the the resonance shall i say like <laughs> everything's like yeah it, it just... and when things aren't awful yeah yeah like soft and pleasant yeah yeah that that's and and it works with the story really well works with the themes that are being explored and everything and i just really enjoyed this book and it's it would be a, a great one to follow monthly i think yeah and for sure. um yeah so that is resonant and the list of credits for resonant uh we have it's written by uh david andre inks are by ale dragon uh, ale arrogant Colours by Jason Wordy and letters by Darren Bennett. And uh, yeah, it's a great little opener for something that promises to be really cool. And I really like the uh, the logo design on the front, actually. Yeah, yeah. like a shockwave, um, yeah. like yeah. fuzzing through the O. Yeah, it's very cool. Yeah, I get the idea that um, with the, the chirpers, it's met, we might be talking about some kind of um, vibration or something. I don't know. But yeah, it's really cool. Um, yeah, like like the like yeah. the birds and bird box, they're sensitive yeah. thing that's happening for seconds before yeah. it affects the rest of them. Yes. So it gives people time to kind of think. Um on from there I'm gonna move on to the last of our preview issues that we were given by Vault. So um this is Sarah and the Royal Stars, number one. Uh should mention by the way, Resonant is available on the seventeenth of July. As will Sarah and the Royal Stars. They'll both be available on the same free comic book day, 7th of July. So get to your, free, get to your comic book store, get your orders in, go to Comixology, get that sorted out. Um, so you, uh, you, you meant new comic book day, not free comic book day. Yeah, new comic book day, not right. free comic book day. <laughs> yeah. 
NCBD, not FCBD. There's only one FCBD a year. Definitely pay for this book. Yeah, like, it's, yeah. It's worth it. yeah. <laughs> exactly, you have to. Um, there's no other way to get it. Uh, but um, the next one is Sarah and the Royal Stars. Um, now, this is a fantasy book, and this is written by John Suey. Art is by Audrey Mock. Colours by Raul Angelo. And letters are by Jim Campbell. Now, this book, for me... Um, I'm just going to read the little blurb off the Vault website again. Civil war rages in the Empire of Parsa and famine has struck. As the seasons refuse to turn, Princess Sarah receives a vision from the deity Mitra, telling her to find the royal stars and restore them and restore them to the heavens. Despite her kingdom and her troops' need of her command, Sarah embarks on a quest to find the fallen stars now trapped on Earth, save her people from dearth and death. Yeah, it's um, yeah described here. Uh, author John Suey takes readers on an epic fantasy quest through the Persian landscape, beautifully drawn by Audrey Mock and brought to life through Raul Angelo's colours with lettering by Jim Campbell. So, I mean, first impressions for me from this, um, it's a great-looking fantasy comic, and I love the inspiration behind this world. It's a fantasy tale bathed in Middle Eastern mythology. Um, Like, notes of Zoroastrianism and pre-Islamic religion, and there's some absolutely gorgeous character designs in the book, Um, my favourite of which appears on a full page at the end of the first issue, because we were given a second issue of this to check out as well. Um, the art is beautifully detailed and lends itself well to the landscapes and locales displayed throughout the comic. It's sword and sorcery meets Middle Eastern mythology in an Avatar-like way. And by Avatar, I mean Avatar The Last Airbender. The colours used within the pages give everything this, like, magical quality. And even arid landscapes look inviting in these pages when you read through it. Um, it's just a really, really nice little fantasy story. Um, and it's a nice bit of escapism to add to your list. Um, I liked this for the same reasons that I liked Rose. Now, there's a throwback for you, because there's something we've not mentioned for a long, long time on this podcast. But if you go back a few a few episodes, a few tens of episodes, you will <laughs> hear me talk about a comic called Rose, which is another fantasy book, which I liked for rather the same reasons that I enjoy this. Um, it's a great fantasy tale. It provides some decent escapism. Um... There's some really cool characterization in this and some really nice character designs, as I've already mentioned. And there's some great, great artwork. Like, everything has this magical quality with bright colours and such a such a vibrant world that we're in here when we're looking at these pages. Uh, some awesome full-page work. And, yeah, there's some great little sequences in the panels as well. There's some really great, like, sort of three-panel sequences. And there's a, there's a collection here in the first issue of nine panels, a nine-panel page, where... Um, a character is visited by the deity Mitra. Sarah is is taken to an astral realm, I guess. Uh, and Mitra places um, their hand inside Sarah's chest, removes Sarah's heart, and replaces it with a crystal. Um, and this this is like a, a, a it's uh, it's it's a plot point in her finding these royal stars and freeing them. But for me, this is also like it's just such a cool nine panel sequence in the way that it's spread out and the way that time passes through these panels. And it just, it just makes such sense to me and just looks so awesome. I just love those, those nine panels. And yeah, that, that is Sarah and the Royal Stars. So it's, it's a beautiful little fantasy tale set amidst pre-Islamic mythology with a bit of sword and sorcery and, and, an avatar-esque through line. And it's, it's, everything you want from a fantasy tale did you read this one ray did you manage to check this one out 
I didn't get a chance to, but it does look really interesting. I like the setting. Yeah, it's really cool. It's a really nice setting. Uh, it's it's different. It's new. It's completely. Um, it's something else. It's 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 something to escape to. It's somewhere else, mm. and that's what I really enjoyed about it. So that's another one to check out, and that is also released on the seventeenth of July. And that is Sarah and the Royal Stars. So, um, last two. Yeah, what have we got left? Uh, well, this is like uh, this is like Greg Mageddon now because we've got Jughead's Time Police <laughs> or Silver Surfer Black. I don't, so even, which... I, I don't even have notes for Jughead. I just I read it and I had so much. I, I think we're just going to have to chat about it because it's not yeah. one that I have like deep thoughts on. You it's read it and fun. you had so much fun reading it. The same as me. I, I read it yeah. last night while I was sat in the bar waiting for my girlfriend to finish work. Um, I went to the bar and there's this bar that sells root beer in Leicester. <laughs> it's called Tun. So I was like, I'm going to drink root beer and read comics. So <laughs> I went and bought myself <laughs> um, a couple of root beers and I sat there and I read... Uh, Jughead's Time Police. I also read Event Leviathan number one, which is the new DC thing. Um, mm. And I read um, Batman and the Outsiders number two. Uh, but I read Jughead's Time Police. And um, yeah, it was such great fun. Like this bouncy, fun time travel book with gorgeous, fun, smiley artwork and haphazard events happening you know like left right and center and comedy and food and it was just silliness yeah it was just it was just brilliant in how silly it was and and like that's this is what i like about archie comics sometimes like Mm. i like that it's somewhere silly to go I mean, like, yeah, this is this is a palate yeah. cleanser for sure. This yeah, is the for kind of sure. Thing yeah, that would be a palate cleanser. I mean, like yeah. River Riverdale, like the dark and dreary gothic world of Riverdale on uh, Netflix. I mean, I enjoy that side of it. I enjoy mm-hmm. that side of the Archie comics, and I like Archie horror comics because, as as they, you know, as much as they're horror stories, they're also a bit silly. So, <laughs> I like I like that stuff, but like this and sabrina's the same actually the new sabrina comics are very similar in in this way in the fact that it's kind of like um fantasy and comedy and just yeah it's just it's it's what you want from a comic it's just pure it this is this is like pure uncut comic this reminds me of the yeah, it reminds me of the Archie comics that I read as yeah. a kid. You know, the little, the yeah. little like back pocket ones. Yeah, where they are just like city strips. Um, yeah, and like sometimes they would go a bit deeper, but they weren't like. I, I think they weren't reaching for the same things mm. that say like the horror Archie ones are, or like yeah. the Riverdale TV show is. Like it's not trying to be. Yeah. Um, to like reach that to that kind of genre, mm. it's just trying to have a bit of fun and like yeah. do some nice artwork. And this one is really cool because like it right away sets the tone because like. If you don't know who Jughead is and you just pick this up based on, like, why ever you would, the first three pages really do it. Like, page number one, he's uh, he's mooching off Veronica because he's, like, putting milkshakes on her tab. Page number two, he's an idiot because, like, instead of putting um, butter in his pie, he puts fish oil. And then page number three is just, like, the, um, the consequences, like, the immediate consequences of his cock-up where... Uh, it, like it smash cuts to people just vomiting at this pie eating contest that he's made um, this pie for, and like 
it's just an instigating incident to yeah. to do some stupid time travel stuff. And like we don't even really get into the yeah. the meat of it in this issue. Like it it basically introduces a, a reason for him to want to go back in time, which yeah. is that he he was baking a pie for a pie contest. He messed up the pie, so he wants to go back in time to not mess up the pie. He's like, I wish I had more time. If I had time, I could have got the right ingredients. I could have bought butter instead of margarine. I could have bought um, proper like crystallized sugar instead of dusted sugar. He doesn't even put... realize that he put fish oil in it, does he? That's he the still thing. Yeah, he, he, put... he, never... <laughs> he still thinks he, he put margin instead of butter, and he's like, <laughs> <laughs> how did you not smell that when it was in the oven? How? <laughs> I do yeah. like uh, like we get the. Um... Like in the immediate aftermath, like he's been told that he's banned for life from the pie making, the annual pie making contest. Yeah, and that's the thing that really bums him out. Like that's yeah. the reason he wants to go to such lengths to correct his past. Yeah, and we see like four panels of him sort of moving really slowly through time, where it's one panel of him being told that he's banned, and then the same position, like his same art of him with his head down, his eyes closed, looking forlorn. But like playing video games with Archie and then being in school and not paying attention and then being inside in front of his drum set. And like, I feel like there's some really nice touches of his misery, um, <laughs> like depicted that way, like through yeah. these. It's almost like Tom yeah. King, like in some way, or like, yeah. Um, oh God, why can't I think of his collaborator's name from the Mitch uh, Jarrods? Mitch Jarrods from the Mr. Miracle books, where yeah. like it shows the same thing yeah. over and over again and it gives you like this sense of like foreboding like mm. that's kind of done in this book and i really like that um and yeah so he just he invents time travel he invents with, it he just with dilton's he gets, help <laughs> yeah he gets he he has the the drive for it because he has a reason this annual pie making contest is so important he invents time travel he just he just does it with yeah. hard work and a brief a really brief montage he, yeah. he invents time travel and then goes back in time with archie and then fucks that up as well <laughs> and that's that's basically it. <laughs> it's it's cool. I, 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 I loved this. it. I loved it. Um, and it, you liked it for the exact same reasons I liked it because it's just mm. it's just really fun and cool. So that is uh, Jughead's time, please, and I will get you a set of credits for that. While you're doing that, I just I love how pretty Jughead is. I love yeah. everything about him. I love his like this new modern style that they've given him and all the like the the recent Archie universe stuff. It's just he's gorgeous. Look at him. Yeah. He's <laughs> yeah. I love I love the character designs in this book. Yeah, it is like yeah. It's it's spot on, pure uncut comics straight from the source. <laughs> like so, uh, the story is by Cena Grace, lettering by Jack Morelli, art by Derek Cham, uh, Charm, coloring by Matt Herms, and uh, yeah, it's just it's just a gorgeous, gorgeous book. Uh, it is pure uncut comics, as I keep saying. So that is Jughead's Time Please number one. And uh, now uh, we move on to the last comic on the list, which was uh, Silver Surfer Black, which was my last one, which was something that I just couldn't not talk about after reading it because it was that awesome. I read it this morning. Uh, the internet has been a buzz with word about this book um, because it's just so gorgeous. Like, it is, like, seriously the most gorgeous comic <laughs> The art is so fluid and it just washes across the page. The surfer is like a bead of mercury, stretching and warping, liquid yet solid, moving through the panels like these like rivers of colour, like a bead of mercury in a sea of paint. And this is this story takes place after the death of uh, death of Thanos. 
um, the Guardians of the Galaxy and the Silver Surfer were gathered to a reading of his last will and testament, and then they were ambushed and thrown into a black hole. And the first part of the book is the surfer fighting against the tide, saving his allies. And the second half is the surfer shipwrecked on unfamiliar shores. Um, there's some amazing sequences in this book that I will not spoil. Uh, some of the pages are truly like true masterpieces of sequential art and really show the strength of this medium. And it's a truly fantastic book. And it wasn't what I thought it would be at all. Like, because I was thinking that this was going to be the lead into how the Silver Surfer got his shiny black coat before going off to fight Thanos in the future. But apparently not. Apparently could still be. I don't know anymore because it involves black holes and black holes usually means time travel and weird stuff. Um, But yeah, it's just it's just such great. Such a such a great thing visually. It's just so gorgeous. And the writing's really good as well. Donny Cates smashes it out of the park again. Um, I just... Um, yeah. It's just such a beautiful book. Like, I mean, I don't know if, if you've seen any of the artwork from this yet, Ray. I haven't at all, actually. This is my first... <laughs> I oh. didn't even know it existed. Search it now. Look for it now. <laughs> okay. Hang on. The, hang on. I mean, on. while you're while you're doing that, like, all the original art for this comic sold to one collector. It was, like, all on sale, and the whole comic sold complete to one collector oh wow so okay. everyone wants it um i saw a variant on sale for 15 quid in forbidden planet yesterday hmm. um yeah it's just it's one of those that's going to be like one for the ages i think okay oh there's a there's a youtube trailer for it yeah oh wow the artwork is great yeah it's, i like all these like different shades of purple yeah it's just there. this gorgeous fluid like and and the way like the uh, the way that the artist plays with page layouts and everything in this is fantastic as well because we've got like you know a lot of breaking of panel borders and a lot of borderless mm. panels and a lot of like passage of time displayed in different ways like i guess this is you get i guess you get free reign to play with this sort of stuff when you're talking about black holes and things because black holes warp stuff like massively warp stuff and there's some there's some absolutely fantastic gorgeous sequences in this book and i'm not i'm not going to spoil them because i want people to read this and see this for themselves with their own two eyes because here we've got time passing vertically we've got people falling it's just it's such such a gorgeous book and like even the lettering when we get to hear foreign alien languages and things and it's just yeah i i want to cut out each page and frame it <laughs> that's yeah that's a mark of quality i want to do yeah that. yeah it's it's yeah, great this, this does um, look good like it literally looks yeah. really good yeah so this is uh donny cates and tradmore uh we have colors by dave stewart and uh lettering is by clayton cowles uh, Donny Cates is the writer, and Tradmore is has also helped with the story, but is the artist. And yeah, it's it's a it's a gorgeous, gorgeous book. So that was Silver Surfer Black, and uh, that brings us to the end of the comics. So uh, we've got a question to answer, actually, haven't we? Oh yeah, we do. Yeah. So do you want to read this one out? It's from Askew. Okay. So yeah, uh, we have a question to answer, and Ray's going to read it out. Cool. Yeah. So a listener sent us a question saying, if you had to just three comic books to someone which three would it be um it's not for a new reader it's not for someone who is a seasoned comic person um 
they're, they mentioned that they're keeping it vague. I'm not sure what they mean by that, but like they also say, don't give any duplicates. Um, they don't want to see more than any one IP in a selection. I don't know if they mean um, they don't want to see the same IP repeated yeah. between us in total. So like we're not allowed to say the same thing. I think I think they mean um, in our selections. So we're not allowed to say two Batman stories or two. Yeah, I was gonna. I get yeah. the feeling that was meant more for you. <laughs> like yeah. not yeah. not give like three TMNT books or something. Yeah. Oh come <laughs> on, man! I'm not that bad. <laughs> <laughs> we know what you we know what you're about. We're friends. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So do you want to go first with your picks? Then, so what would you recommend to this person? Okay. See, so I I I'm this person generally. Like people come to me at work and ask me comic books they should read. So I always give the obvious, picks. and these aren't my picks. I'm just going to say what my obvious picks are are like lock and key saga why the last man sandman watchman stuff like that like not uh, not necessarily always the best known like i think lock and key is is crit- is like a critical darling but not everybody knows of it i bring up stuff like wicked and divine as well or like die i've mentioned to people a few times lately it's like they're they're popular like if you went into a comic book shop you would see them straight away but they're not necessarily always like Watchmen is is on every single list. Like if you Google best graphic novel to read, Watchmen will come up. I think sort of in those spaces, that's the kind of stuff I'd recommend. But if I was going to pick um, comics that describe me as a person, like if I wanted someone to know the kind of things that I personally like based on my suggestions for comics, like I always find that question really difficult because it's like asking me what my favorite movie is. Well, I mean, it's The Matrix, but like if you if generally if you ask me what the my favorite movie is, I would be hard like a specific answer it depends on my mood a lot but like so i had to it was really hard for me to work out three but i picked three books and, and my the reason the way i made this easier for myself was i picked three books that i've talked about on the cast before. so number one would be vision um and i'm going to cheat a little here because i'll be i'd say volumes one and two because there's an omnibus they come in in one book and it's done it's not like i'm saying nine volumes it's two volumes uh vision by tom king um little worse than a man little better than a beast um amazing amazing books uh like that have this level of like existential but not horror just existential life like him trying to like the the vision trying to figure out what it means to be a man and what it means to be who he is and like have a family that is of his own creation it's just it has all the kind of depth that i love um and all the kind of misery and like heartbreak and just crushing life drama that i love um, and moving on from there, uh, as a pick for like me liking puzzle boxes and liking like intertwined, um, like mathy, puzzly stories, I'm going to pick Demon by Jason Shiga, um, which I think I've talked about on the cast. There's like four books in total, and it's just he, like he's he. The reason I found Jason Shiga was he uh, a book called I think it was called Meanwhile, where it's kind of like. Um, a choose your own adventure but done visually so like you get to see like pipes leading between all these choices you get to choose between like different colors of different flavors of ice cream and how that the outcome stuff it's very similar in that sort of like really intricate um mathematically driven gory violent disgusting over the top ridiculous uh comedy mystery i'd really recommend it and then lastly to get my like um, palette cleanser slash slice of life fix. I really struggled to pick between this and Yotsubato, which isn't my pick, but I would really recommend Yotsubato if you wanted something like this. But also Giant Days. Um, again, one I've talked about in the cast a lot. It's just it's about 
three young women who are studying at university and just the daily you know, life and school, sorry, life and university and just flatmate drama and boyfriend drama and stuff that, and girlfriend drama that they're having. It's just really sweet and light and fluffy and I love it. So those are my three picks. Um, You see, my picks, it was difficult because I feel like it all depends on what type of stories that person enjoys in the first place. Like, what do they like? Like, I, I but think that's, I... that's that's the reason I said what it represents me, as opposed yeah. to trying to give yeah. what I think the other person will like. Like, that's a yeah. Question. I'd need to have an idea of what they liked. Otherwise, I could just keep listing stuff that I think you might enjoy, and it's like throwing darts haphazardly at a corkboard and watching some of them bounce <laughs> off and hoping that one of them will stick in. You know, mm. so um, I mean, I had lock and key on my list, like you. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have Usagi Yojimbo so Usagi Yojimbo because it's like a fun all ages adventure book and I think it's the kind of universal thing that anyone could open and enjoy because it's you know it's an all ages adventure book it's fun it's got a little bit of Japanese history in there it's you know it's pretty It's it's got all of that in it and it's pretty it's a pretty good book and you can hear me talk about Asagi Ojimbo previous episodes and how much I love it. So, uh, other ones, uh, if you like your horror stories, then I've got Harrow County, which I believe is a great little horror story to start somebody else with. It's eight volumes and it's horror slash coming of age. Um, and that is, yeah, it's, it's a really nice story. It's quite, touching actually in places it's quite endearing but it's also a horror story so it kind of straddles the line there between both of those and it's got some really gorgeous artwork in it as well um afterlife with archie if you like your horror stories if you like things to be a little bit if you like your horror a little bit more trashy if you like your bad zombie films and things like that then afterlife with archie is for you uh it is the archie world the archie verse the archie characters and um what i like about the fact that what they do with these archie horror comics is that the archie universe um the archie the characters from the archie comics like archie betty veronica and whatever are just archetypes they're just Mm. like straight flat archetypes that you can you can fit them into almost any situation and this works really well with horror especially when you've got like the stereotypical archetypes for characters in horror films because they already exist so archie's a great fertile ground for horror stories i think as in Mm. that type of horror story those trashy slasher movie type horror stories because it's all there already it's high school you know the people are you've already got the preppy person you've already got the rich kid you've already got the sporty kid you've got the yeah you've already got them all the american archetype yeah the americana archetype yeah and that's that's why that works so well um i had mr miracle uh by tom king and mitch jared's on my list uh, which I think is it, for similar reasons to the why you have vision on yours, really. Yeah, it's the same thing. I think I, th- I feel like vision's a little bit more accessible. You um, think that's why mm, I picked that one? Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I I I thought that um, Mister Miracle might be quite accessible, so I put that on there. Aliens Dead Orbit, which um, the Stoko one that you liked. yeah the Stoko book. Yeah. yeah, it's my favorite artist. So I I would push Stoko onto anyone, <laughs> anyone <laughs> who will listen with eyes. So, uh, yeah. <laughs> listen with eyes. Cool. <laughs> Anyone who will listen, uh, who enjoys comics, who likes 
cool artwork should read Stoko books because Stoko's artwork is absolutely fantastic. Uh, yeah. So I would recommend that to anyone. Um, and yeah, I mean, like that that list kind of describes me as well, like my taste in comics, I guess. Because mm. there's this sort of like each note of things that I love the most in comics is hit there. You've got Asagi Yojimbo, which kind of represents my uh, my turtles fix, my anthropomorphic animals with samurai swords fix, you know. <laughs> uh, yeah, for sure. Yeah, you've got Harrow County, which uh, is like my horror thing. Uh, Afterlife with Archie, which is my other horror thing, like the other the silly side of horror that I like. Mr. Miracle, which is kind of where I go for, but that's kind of where I would go for my more serious stuff. And it also represents the fact that I enjoy DC and Marvel as a whole. Like I love DCU, Marvel Universe stuff as, you know, comics. I, I like classic superhero stories as well, but I haven't put any in here because not a lot of other people do like classic superhero stories. I don't mm. know why. I mean, I mean, a lot, well, a lot of people do like classic superhero stories, but uh, I think there's like a line there somewhere where it's like, this is too schlocky for me or something. Um, it's and, also, you can find it on film yeah. now as well. Yeah, exactly. Like that's, yeah. that's an accessible. Yeah. yeah. And uh, Alien, Marvel is accessible as hell, so is DC. Yeah. And uh, Alien's Dead Orbit, because if you like, um, if you like that kind of, uh, if you like your kind of sci-fi stuff, then uh, that's probably a great place to go for that because it's a good sci-fi book. It's a nice, easy mm-hmm. read as well. And the artwork's really cool. So yeah, I mean, that's that's my list. So I hope that satisfies you, ask you, and answers your question satisfactorily. That wasn't three. He's going to have complaints. <laughs> like, you know this. <laughs> yeah, well. But like, I mean, sorry, if you, you, there's a million books to love. So I'll, I'll, give you, I'll give you three. Yeah, there's millions of books. Like, I can't just give you three. <laughs> That's why I said, like, I'm, I'm taking handfuls of darts and throwing them at a court board and hoping some of them stick. <laughs> you know, <laughs> so eat that. <laughs> <laughs> I love that normally I'm the one who breaks yeah. the rules. I'm like, I'm not going to, I'm going to give you 12. Don't ask me for just three. You can't ask but me I... for just three. <laughs> you know who you're talking to? <laughs> I have a hard time just buying, you know, like keeping it to three <laughs> on my pool list. Like... <laughs> That's true. <laughs> I have a hard time keeping it to eight, let alone three. Anyway, um, <laughs> so we have... Um, our pull lists now so i'll open so on the 6th uh 19th of 6th which is when this comic will be available uh, this comic this podcast will be available uh asagi yojimbo is relaunched um on idw so that is asagi yojimbo number one on idw which we've talked about in a previous cast where i've mentioned my excitement and uh my adam admiration for stan sakai so yes, you should check that out. Um, and uh, Ray, where are you for six nineteen? I've actually got one for the previous week, so one that I've missed. So oh. this basically should have been on the last pull list. It's uh, by night number twelve, um, which yeah. came out on June the twelfth. That's a yeah. Boom Studios book by John Allison, who's also the writer for Giant Days. Yeah. This is a book where I reviewed the number one, and like I just lost track of it. I didn't realize that number twelve is the end of this story. Um, it was a twelve issue run. So I'm, I want to go back and collect them all and catch up, because now that it's ended, so that's by night. Um, yeah. And then for... <laughs> uh, yeah, for the 19th, I picked out uh, X-Men Grand Designs issue number two, Extinction. And also, uh, sim- similarly to the by night thing, I didn't realise that Clue, so like in like the American name for Cluedo, where I talked about a previous run, which I really enjoyed, Clue has come back. It's called Clue Candlestick. 
And on the 19th will be issue number two. So I'm going to go back and pick out number one and two on that week. Nice. Uh, for um, So I'll just move on to the 26th then. So what I've got for yeah. the 26th of June, I've got Transformers Ghostbusters number one, mm-hmm. uh, which is no one's, to surprise nobody. Um, so Ghosts of Cybertron part one. After years of civil war, the Autobots fled Cybertron, leaving their home planet in the evil clutches of Megatron and his Decepticons. Years later, and millions of miles away, the Autobots pick up a Cybertronian distress signal from a mysterious planet called Earth. The ghostly signal shouldn't exist. And it'll bring Optimus Prime and his team, including brand new Autobot Ectotron, face to face with the Ghostbusters. So Ectotron turns into Ecto-1, in case you didn't already guess. <laughs> and there's also going to be a toy of Ectotron on sale, which I kind of pre-ordered a little bit. Um, and uh, yeah, I am dead excited for that. And that is my favourite Ghostbusters team of Eric Burnham, Dan Schooning uh artist and writer so yeah we're looking forward to that one big style and uh there's going to be join up covers so there's going to be like when you collect the whole thing um there's gonna like all the covers will join together to make one big panoramic battle scene oh i love when they do that yeah it's gonna be really cool the other one i picked up from 626 the other two in fact was space riders vortex of darkness hey remember space riders well it's back (laughs) Um, so (laughs) Space Riders Vortex of Darkness let me get you a little blurb and tell you what a bit of what this is about so we've talked about Space Riders on previous cast and we loved it and we loved uh, Alexis Siret's artwork because it was absolutely amazing all these like bright neon spacey colours and yeah it's just just a little bit gorgeous it's like it's like everything's under a black light um, it's like when you're in a room full of like, uh, you're in like a, a rave and, and everything's under a black light and you've got like bright neon colors just shining up. That's what his artwork's like. And I love it for that. So, um, it's been 20 years since the riders defeated the destroyer God of evil and saved the galaxy. But when the mother of all evil gods appears and threatens to take control of every dimension and every strain of possible reality, the now cybernetically enhanced X riders will come together and travel into her mind to assassinate her soul. It's a suicidal mission into an infinite vortex of blood and death. And that is Carlos Gifoni and Alexis Sirit. And I am 100% on board with that. I don't know about you, Ray, but I am 100% Sam, on cool. board. You're excited, so I'm excited. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, the last one on our list is Wolverine Exit Wounds. Um, And uh, this is like another Wolverine story. Um, and uh, do, 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 do. so Wolverine Legends, Chris Claremont and Larry Hammer and Steve Sam. Uh, my mouse not working. Wolverine Legends, Chris Claremont, Larry Hammer and Sam Keith reunite. He goes by many names, Patch, Weapon X, Logan, but most just call him the Wolverine. Join Marvel's greatest storytellers for three brand new untold tales of the X-Men's deadliest member. Blood, Broads and Blades. You ask for it, bub. <laughs> so... Uh, more Wolverine, please. Thank you. Yeah, so this is just all about the Wolverine. Um, and it's just Wolverine doing what Wolverine does, I assume. The cover is literally Wolverine doing what Wolverine does to Sabretooth, so... Yeah, I'm down with that. Um, <laughs> cool. I like me some Wolverine. Uh, and, uh, yeah, that rolls up... That, that wraps up the pl- the pull list, so uh, that has been Ace Comic. Wait, 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 wait. I had a few... You have more? 
Yeah, sorry, I I don't think I put them on the list, but I have I have things for the twenty sixth of June. Yeah. Um. So first one, Isola number eight, which yeah. is something that you you loved and you extolled its virtues. Um, it's back, and Fiona Staples is doing a variant cover for this one, which hasn't even been shown as far as I can find right now. But I'm I want to see what that is. So that's Isola number eight. Um, there's Life is Strange number six, which is the start of a new arc, which apparently is going to bring back some characters that were beloved from the game so uh looking forward to that uh a new a new arc a new volume of the weatherman is starting it's um it's called volume two but it'll be issue number one of that volume which is interesting you don't normally see that but so yeah it's weatherman number one um and something something new uh that i've found uh that i want to pick out so i'm going to pick one out of this list of things that we've all talked about before called gut ghost by scout comics and the reason I like it is because it looks like a, uh... I mean, it, the front cover is just this creepy looking, gross, wrinkled ghost. And he's lifting up like you would lift up your shirt. But instead of lifting up his shirt, he's lifting up it like it's it's ghostly material or whatever. Like I saw this earlier. Sheet, you... Yeah, like a, yeah, like a like... sheet ghost. He's lifting it up and it's just a pile of guts underneath. And it's a pile of guts underneath. Like not <laughs> even just guts where guts should yeah. be, but like just every, he's made of guts. Yeah. Made of guts. Just, ghost made of guts. I'm gonna yeah. I'm gonna read the read a book about a ghost made of guts. Yeah. yeah. It does it does yeah, it looks it looks kinda of fun. Um Yeah, it looks cool. Yeah. So um that is the end of the pool list now, right? Now it is, yeah. Now it's the end. It's not finished. It's finished. It's finished. Yeah, so uh <laughs> that has been Ace Comicals episode number sixty four. You can find us on Twitter under Ace Comicals. You can find us on Facebook under Ace Comicals. You can find us on Instagram under Ace Comicals. Um you can find Ace Comicals under www.acecomicals.com. Uh, we are on Apple, Apple Podcasts, Castro, Overcast, Pocketcast, Spotify, Stitcher, and TuneIn. Um, you can reach us at acecomicals at gmail.com if you want to ask us a question or just DM us on Twitter and we'll answer your question in a show like we have done uh, in this show with Askew here. Um, you can, if you so wish, if you enjoy what we do, you can uh, donate the price of a coffee uh, at our Kofi site, which is kofi.com slash acecomicals. And, um, yeah, help us keep the lights on. Keeps the website up. So, um, Ray, where can we find you? Um, at Twitter on at Monkeh. So that's at M-O-O-N-K-E-H. And you can find me on Twitter at Bato. That's B-A-T-T-O-U at B-A-T-T-O-U. So yeah, that has been Ace Comicals. That is Ace Comicals episode 64. Ace Comicals over and out.